Welcome to Focus in Sound, the podcast series from the Focus newsletter published by the Burroughs Welcome Fund. I'm your host, science writer Ernie Hood. In this edition of Focus in Sound, we meet a remarkably accomplished young researcher who is making important strides in nanomedicine for drug delivery in a variety of therapeutic areas. Dr. Laura Ensign is the Vice Chair for Research and the Marcella E. Wool Professor of Ophthalmology at the Wilmer Eye Institute Nanomedicine Division, which is part of Johns Hopkins Medicine in Baltimore. She is an Associate Professor in Ophthalmology, Chemical and Biomolecular Engineering, Biomedical Engineering, Pharmacology and Molecular Sciences, Gynecology and Obstetrics, Infectious Diseases, and Oncology. That long list of appointments reflects her wide-ranging interests and research pursuits, which focus on characterization of biological barriers in health and disease in order to design more effective formulations for prophylactic and therapeutic drug delivery. She received funding from the Burroughs Welcome Fund in 2015 for her project titled The Role of Vaginal Progesterone Delivery in Cervical Remodeling and Preterm Birth, which was part of the fund's program to encourage preterm birth research and is now called the Next Gen Pregnancy Initiative. Laura Ensign, welcome to Focus and Sound. Thank you. It's fun to be here. Laura, I'd like to concentrate first on your work on preterm birth, and then we'll widen out to include much of your other research. Tell us about your recent study of a vaginally delivered nanomedicine method for preventing preterm birth. So one of the, the major issues with preterm birth is that there are not many therapeutic options, right? So we don't have good ways of preventing preterm birth using you know, drug products. And there's really only one approved product on the market. And even that product uh, recently had a failed confirmatory clinical trials. And it's, it's quite possible that that drug will even get removed from the market. And so one of the things that we actually sought out to do here um, was not just to improve drug delivery. So often the research I do, we are, you know, we're maybe looking at better targeting or, you know, making drugs more effective, reducing side effects. But in this case, you know, it's both that, but then also there's just not a lot of options to begin with. And so we started with progesterone because that's something that, you know, has been shown to work. It's progesterone is kind of the pregnancy hormone. And so we were looking at ways to to better deliver progesterone vaginally, which has shown in some clinical trials to have some positive effect on preterm birth prevention. Um, But we figured in that case, we could do more targeted, more effective drug delivery to the uterus and, you know, the upper tracts. And so, but the interesting thing that we found in the animal model that we were working with, where we were really focused on inflammation, inflammation as a cause of preterm birth. We found that the progesterone alone actually wasn't working very well. It wasn't very therapeutically effective. And so what we ended up having to do then was actually more of a drug discovery kind of biology type project, right? Where we were then using other molecules. So the the molecule in particular is a, it's called an HDAC inhibitor. Basically what it does is it, it changes gene expression, right? And so we ended up figuring out that if you use that drug in combination with the progesterone, then you actually see prevention of the preterm birth. But then the other thing that was interesting about it is that 
it was really the vaginal drug delivery. So the targeted delivery with the nanomedicine system that was more effective. Whereas if you dose by injection, you know, something systemic, then it had no effect still. The other thing that was, that was interesting about the work though, is that in the context of inflammation, you're also concerned about the developing fetus, particularly neurological development. And so if you're prolonging then gestation in a setting where you have inflammation, you also want to make sure that your drug treatment is, is also addressing the inflammation and making sure that neurological development is occurring normally. And so that was something that was particularly exciting is that in the, in the mouse model, the, the pups that were born, we did uh, neurological and neuromotor characterizations. They, they appeared to behave and develop neurotypically or normally um, compared to animals that had no inflammation and no drug treatment. And so that was something that was particularly exciting about this um, as a preliminary you know, observation. Well, that certainly sounds like a very exciting result. Do you anticipate moving this approach into human studies? If so, when? And will you conduct that phase of the research? Yeah. So actually, one of the things that we're looking to do now, now that we've looked at kind of the role of gene expression and, and modifying gene expression, this is an area uh, called epigenetics. And so that's actually something that's coincidentally become you know, very, a very hot topic even in clinical studies. So looking at epigenetics and epigenetic markers in, in women and patient samples, um, that's something that Burroughs Welcome is very interested in at, at this stage as well. The idea then is that you know, maybe it's not your genetics, not your DNA, it's, it's how your DNA is being expressed, right? And so can you, you know, change things about that if there are things turned on that need to be turned back off you know, and vice versa? And so one of the things that we're actually trying to do now is, is even kind of grow the drug screening. So use the preclinical animal models and, and, and do drug screening as a tool then to, to identify you know, potentially more therapeutic uh, options and then also ones that may be safer for use in pregnant women and in pregnancy. Um, because that's, of course, is a, a major concern whenever you're talking about treating a pregnant woman. You're worried about safety for both the mother and the fetus. And so um, we're, we're trying to kind of build a pipeline then. We have these research tools now. We can build this pipeline and then determine, you know, best candidates that might be feasible to move into clinical studies. But then as far as clinical translation, the thing that's perhaps exciting about the nanomedicine approach and the formulation approach is that this is actually, a, it's a very similar approach to what was, what was, we also spun out into a company a number of years ago. Um, so our center, we started a, a company that's called Kala Pharmaceuticals. Kala now has two approved products, coincidentally eye drops, um, that use very similar formulation approaches. And so should we end up identifying a drug candidate, the, the potential for moving into clinical studies and actually you know, doing the translational step is is uh, it's much, it's actually realistic, right? And so we're not talking about nanotechnology as science fiction. You know, there's already approved products that are based on these kinds of formulation approaches. Laura, you are also using nanomedicine to advance drug delivery in ophthalmic settings. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of the work you've been doing in that area. You know, I often get questions about this, right? Like, um, you know, working on the eye and being in the Wilmer Eye Institute and then also having an appointment in gynecology and obstetrics and working on women's health. What's the crossover, right? Like what's the similarity? 
And so it's really um, the underlying similarity is just we're talking about mucosal surfaces. And so mucosal surfaces being, you know, any of the external epithelial surfaces, um, there's several, including the airways and the gut. And so then the reproductive tract in the eye. And so the idea then is that these formulation approaches, if you're, if you're able to increase, you know, kind of drug absorption and delivery through mucosal barriers and into epithelial tissues, then there's actually a lot of similarity in, in what can be beneficial for drug delivery for the eye as for the reproductive tract. So the formulation approaches and some of the cases are actually quite similar. Um, so we do work on a number of eye drop formulations as well. So for various ocular indications, you know, we've done work and published in drug delivery for glaucoma and for age-related macular degeneration and, you know, all sorts of eye diseases, other kinds of um, corneal diseases, neovascularization, you know, all these kinds of things. So basically any drug that you would want to increase the amount that gets into the eye, it's, uh, it's something that we work on. And so in, in various different kinds of formulation approaches, but then interestingly, the, the underlying approach and the engineering aspect in, in these carriers that we make for the drugs, we're using the same ones for the eye as we are for the reproductive tract and vice versa. But the, but the drugs are different, right? Like the therapeutics are different. But then the idea of targeting the specific cells and then decreasing your off-target or systemic exposure, it's all very similar kind of logic. One of the aspects of your work that I found most interesting was reading about the challenges uh, associated with eye drops, uh, yeah. that, that those are very difficult to, to use in many cases. What are some of those challenges that nanomedicine and nano delivery may be able to overcome? The surface of the eye is, is very exquisitely designed uh, to really prevent any kind of you know, outside material from getting in. And so there's several ways that the eye is protected. So, so one that's kind of obvious is blinking, right? So the blinking of the eyelids, you know, we blink many times per minute and even talking about it, usually you start to blink more frequently. Um, and so that's really, it's kind of like a, a wiping process, right? It wipes the eye that works in concert with your tear production. So you have lacrimal glands that are producing tears continuously. And so that every time you blink, the tear film on the ocular surface is, is completely regenerated. And so the tears are actually a form of mucus as well. I mean, it's something that maybe you don't think about, um, but it is clear uh, because it's low concentration of mucins, um, but it is a mucus layer and it's sticky. And so anytime something, any kind of foreign debris or anything um, touches your eye, it'll get trapped up in your tear film and then drain through your nasal lacrimal duct, um, which goes kind of into your, into your nose. And so this process is just constantly occurring. And then if you've ever used eye drops before, you know that when you use them, you reflexively start blinking and tearing. And so the process is actually kind of accelerated right after you use an eye drop. And so um, usually eye drops, you have to use multiple times per day. Um, and depending on if it's a serious infection uh, or something like that, you may even be told to use it once every hour, once every two hours, you know, while you're awake. And so, as you can imagine, that's, you know, it's really hard for, for patients to adhere to those kinds of guidelines. And, and because of all this clearance, it's, you know, it's often cited that, you know, maybe less than 5% of the drug will actually get into your eye. The rest of it gets, you know, cleared through your ducts. Potentially that way, even you get systemic exposure of the drug. 
or I don't know if you've ever used an eye drop where immediately you can taste it afterwards, right? Because when it goes through that duct, it goes into your mouth and into your gastrointestinal tract as well. So, you know, eye drops, they seem simple and, you know, and your eye seems to be very accessible, um, but it's actually, you know, like getting therapeutic levels of drug into your eye is actually um, difficult to do and uh, takes a lot of repeated dosing. And so one of the things that we work on is just using you know, nanoformulations, using you know, gel forming polymers and you know, things like that to create eye drops that both have prolonged residence time so, they'll, so that it'll stay on your eye for longer, but then also really make that initial absorption very rapid get through the tear film, get through those, you know, cell barriers and, and get as much drug as possible into the eye before you're blinking and tearing and everything can wash it all away. And so through multiple kinds of processes where the nanoparticle approach, like I said, has been developed by Kala Pharmaceuticals. And then we have these other hydrogel kinds of approaches there. We, we recently started a new company as well to develop some of that um, as you know, eye drops for um, clinical use. So there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of exciting things going on with the eye work um, because it's, it's also something where, you know, vision is kind of underappreciated in terms of, and, and ocular diseases are kind of underappreciated as a, as things to be working on, right. And ways to improve, but our vision is very important to us. You know? um, so it perhaps makes a lot of sense to, to focus on eye diseases, um, but it's kind of an underappreciated area. Well, you have characterized delivering drugs to the retina as one of the holy grails of ocular drug delivery. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us about a little bit more about the topical gelling eye drops you've been working on that would seem to be the holy grail. Yeah, absolutely. I always like to say up front though, that, that, you know, there was a lot about that, that was, you know, really surprising to us. You know, we never sought out saying, I'm going to be the one to make an eye drop that delivers drug effectively to the retina, right? Like this is like, this is what I'm setting out to do. Um, So we were actually really focused on, you know, diseases of the front of the eye when, when we were first developing the gelling eye drop. Um, you know, things like glaucoma and dry eye and things like that. Um, but it was actually along the way um, when we were kind of studying the pharmacokinetics or, you know, the way the drug would distribute and clearance and things that we just started seeing surprising amounts of, of drug that was being delivered to what we call the posterior segment. So like the retina and the choroid, you know, things that are in the back portion of the eye. It was one of those things that was unexpected, but just, it just kept being there you know, and, and thinking, you know, what, what is happening? And so with this gelling eye drop, um, it's a, it's a known material. So the, the polymer itself is, is actually something that is an approved eye drop products just at lower concentrations. And, but the way that we're using it, it's, it's actually an interesting material that has um, this interesting behavior that when when you increase temperature, it, it undergoes a gel transition. And so when it's in just the tube at room temperature, it's a liquid, um, but then once you actually apply it to the ocular surface, it, it will spread and then undergo this gel transition. And it's a clear gel, um, but, then it, but then it kind of hugs the surface of your eye and will stay there and kind of fits underneath your eyelid when you're blinking. So it, it just, it's kind of like a contact lens in that way, but much, much thinner. And so it just holds the drug there and on the surface of the eye for much longer, where also the polymer itself has these properties where it can increase the solubility of drugs and kind of increase the penetration um, through into the tissue, but not in a way that's irritating or, um, or toxic to the cells. And so 
you know, we can get this tremendous drug absorption that can occur, you know, into the front of the eye that then is able to, you know, th through fluid flow and things like that, um, reach the back of the eye. And, um, and then we've also been kind of studying, you know, the, the particular drug properties. So it's, it's not just the eye drop itself. It's not just the delivery vehicle, but there's also unique things about the drug properties themselves. Like once they're in the eye, how they behave, where they go, and you can kind of maximize the combinations of those, you know, those properties to where then you're getting sustained and therapeutic drug delivery to the retina and to the, you know, in the posterior segment um, that we're seeing is actually effective in disease models and, and even animals as large as pigs, right, which have eyes that are similar size to humans. So, yeah, so it's very exciting We're you know, we're doing a lot of work then different retinal degenerative conditions like I mentioned age-related macular degeneration, also retinitis pigmentosa, um, and also, you know, just kind of retinal degeneration that occurs in glaucoma um, and doing kind of neuroprotection. So as soon you know, so once we kind of saw that, we started expanding out into every, you know, therapeutic area that we could think of um, where it could be applicable. And so, yeah, so it's very exciting because there's not, there's not any eye drops available on the market now that are for retinal degenerative diseases. And so, for AMD in particular, you know, those patients, they have to get intraocular injections, so a needle, you know, into the globe of your eye once every, you know, six or eight weeks, they have to go back to the doctor to get these injections. And, um, and so the idea that, you know, an eye drop, like even a once daily eye drop could replace the need for those injections. And, you know, that could be really exciting for some patients who would be looking forward to not having to to keep going back to the doctor and keep getting those injections. Overall, this is all about overcoming barriers to drug delivery, isn't it? Is that why nanomedicine for drug delivery is so promising? Absolutely. We think of nanoparticles as kind of like shuttles, you know, um, so they, you know, they take their drug cargo and, you know, can seek out or, or find, you know, cells and things where, you know, you're only then delivering the drug um, to those cells and to those tissues. And then there's, there's ways that you can manipulate nanoparticles to, to look like other types of naturally occurring biological materials like viruses and things like that. And so then you can imagine that you can really manipulate and, and take advantage of natural biological processes to really deliver drugs in a way that's more targeted and concentrated and and then also just kind of reduce the amount of drug that just, you know, is freely going everywhere in the body. And that's where all the side effects come from. And so, yeah, so that, that is really the whole promise, nanomedicine and all of it, it, and the concept of drug delivery, it really is, you know, the promise of, of, you know, overcoming these biological barriers and then, you know, making drugs more effective and, and decreasing side effects and things. And so the, the goal is always overall just um, improving treatment efficacy, you know, improving quality of life, you know, things like that. What got you interested in this line of research? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I actually, I'm one of those people that when I was younger, I, I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and so I actually, I was, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, right? So I was very serious about this when I was a kid. And, and it was actually, when I was a teenager, I did some, some volunteer work at a hospital and, and realized that you know, emotionally speaking, I was, you know, the, the concept of, of, you know, having to interact with patients and families and things and, and death. And, you know, like, I was just like, I'm not emotionally cut out for this. Right. And so, so the way that I actually got into engineering and, and biomedical engineering in particular was just on the promise of being able to 
you know, work on things and develop things that, you know, patients will use and that people will use and will, and will improve their quality of care and their quality of life from, you know, from afar. Right. <laughs> and so, um, so it was really that. And so that's how I really got, that's how I got into biomedical engineering and engineering in general. And so that was one of the main things that really interested me about drug delivery and nanomedicine was that it was, it was all about this promise of, of um, improving the way that we care for patients and, and how we treat and prevent diseases. And so, yeah, and that's still what it is that, and that's how I even got interested at all in, you know, startup companies and things like that and trying to do translational work where you're, you know, ultimately trying to, to get to the product level um, because that's, that's the ultimate goal, right? You want the product to be available and you want people to be able to use it. That feeds into the whole motivation to be doing the work in, in the first place. Dr. Laura Ensign, you're doing some important and valuable research in nanomedicine for drug delivery. And it's been great chatting with you and learning about this fascinating area. Best of luck for continued success. And thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Focus and Sound podcast. Until next time, this is Ernie Hood. Thanks for listening.